It'll be on a box up here. As Doug said, we're continuing with our series on being human in a God-shaped world, which he launched last Sunday with the story of God's wonderful and perfect creation and the subsequent fall through sin of Adam and Eve. And today we're going to look at a story that no doubt will be well known to everyone. It's a simple story, just 16 verses, but I wonder what we've made of this cautionary tale in its previous tellings. What have we thought was the moral of the story and what it might mean to us in today's world? So I'm going to invite you to listen or to read this passage with perhaps a new set of ears and eyes, allowing yourself to engage with the passage as perhaps for the first time. And also perhaps bring to mind the three questions that Doug set out last week for this series. What does this story tell us about the human characters? What does it tell us about God and the world that he intends for us? And what does it say in our walk with Jesus? So the reading is Genesis 4 and it's verses 1 to 16. And I'll hand over to Fran. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Um, as, as Steve just said, Genesis 4, verses 1 to 16, the story of Cain and Abel. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain 
will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Amen. If you were to see this plot line played out on television, you'd probably think you were watching a murder thriller. But although this story contains a murder, it's not a story about murder. And we have to be somewhat careful not to be sidetracked onto focusing on the morality of murder. I've never murdered anyone, and I doubt very much that any of you have either. So if we only hear about a murder, the story won't be relevant to either you or me, and we might just as well go home or switch off now. Whilst this is more the story of someone who was a murderer, it's actually even more than that. This is a story about God, as most of the Bible is. And whether you like it or not, this is also a story about us and how we want to fit ourselves into a God-shaped world and how we want to fit God into a human-shaped world. The story opens simply enough. Two brothers, Cain and Abel, the first brothers, indeed the first children, are born into the world, born as human babies from their mother Eve, rather than created like their parents Adam and Eve, who have seemingly obeyed God's command to multiply and fill the earth. And all through the Bible, there are stories of brothers, and they don't often fare very well and seem to be in conflict, especially in Genesis. Cain and Abel, Shem and Ham, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Co. And as the younger of two brothers, I can sometimes relate to certain aspects of these stories. Not physical murder, of course, but certainly envy, jealousy, pride, hatred, dirty tricks, one-upmanship. Murder by words and thoughts, possibly, but not action. While the two brothers are present in the first part of the story, they are not at the centre of the story. In fact, the whole story focuses on only one person who is a brother, Cain, who, together with God, are the characters that we need to watch. Both the brothers bring their offerings before God. Abel kept flocks of sheep, whilst Cain, as the elder brother, followed in the footsteps of his father, working and tilling the ground. And just before this passage, at the end of chapter 3, God has punished uh, Adam for his role in the Tree of Life saga by expelling him and Eve from the garden ordering that Adam will now have to toil and eat of the ground all the days of his life. The ground that, because of him, will henceforth be cursed, bringing forth thorns and thistles, as well as the good plants and the bread of the land. Cain and Abel both bring what they have in worship to God, acknowledging God as the source and provider of both crops and livestock. The Lord looks favourably on Abel's gift of the fat portion from the firstborn of his flock, 
but however, doesn't accept Cain's offerings of fruits from the ground. And initially we want to ask the question, well, why? Why did God accept Abel's offering, but refuse Cain's? And the story gives us a little clue as to God's reasons for his actions. If there was a problem with Cain's offering, either with Cain himself or the content, and it was important or a point of the story, it's most likely one would have thought the writer would have filled in the gaps and told us, but he doesn't. And so we're left to surmise on the problem and the reason as to why Cain is facing the issue that he now has with God. A surmising that countless theologians have grappled with down the millennia. And a popular explanation is that the first commandments given by God to his people weren't actually given to Moses at Mount Sinai, but were in fact given to Adam and Eve and their children by way of God teaching them about the necessary sacrifices for sin. By offering the firstborn of his flock, Abel illustrates the concept of innocent blood shed for the remission of sins, a model for the coming Messiah. While Cain brought the works of his own hands, a thanksgiving offering. Because God says to Cain, why are you so angry? If you do well, or in some translations, if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? It's been suggested that God has indeed instructed them all beforehand on the correct form of sacrifices and thanksgivings. And whilst Abel obeyed, on this occasion, for whatever reason, Cain didn't. So why is it so important for us to know why Cain's offering wasn't accepted? Why are we compelled to try and find a reason when the story itself doesn't provide one? Here is where I think we begin to learn something about God and something about ourselves. God is God, and we're not. Now that may seem an obvious statement to make, but let's think about it. God, and God alone, decides what is and what is not acceptable not us. He is God. He is free to do what he wants. This then is what it's like to live in a God-shaped world, to live by what he decides, what he decrees. God doesn't have to operate by any standards that we humans set for him or in accordance with our expectations, nor does he have to answer to us for his actions. He is God. And in this and in many other circumstances and situations, we try to fit God into our box of understanding and acceptance, to shape God into a world and a way of living that suits us and fits us best. We like God that way, small, tucked away in a, in a world of our shaping and our understanding. Maybe we're afraid to trust the God that we can't anticipate, preferring instead to have him in a box all neatly labelled. That way we can control God, we think, knowing exactly what he'll do in any given situation. A God that doesn't, doesn't give us any trouble, but who reacts in the ways that we want. But a box that as time goes by gets smaller and smaller 
as we compartmentalize and squeeze him and attempt to mold him into our human-shaped world, a place that we feel comfortable and in control of. The stark reality of this story is that God is God. We can't make a box big enough for him. He refuses to be controlled and molded by us. As one biblical scholar said, God is a wild God, one that will not be tamed by us. He is the kind of God represented by the lion Aslan in C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles. Aslan is not a tame lion. And I think that we would sometimes do well to recover a sense of the mystery and the awesomeness of God that sadly seems to have been diminished over the years as we tried instead to become chummy with him. A person we can have a casual cup of coffee with. Because in that way, in our own little homemade box, he can't be much of a threat to us. But we cannot define God or limit him or bind him. And maybe a recovered sense of the otherness, the holiness of God might allow us to have a bigger God. One that we, can have, that we have to have a faith and a trust in. Because we have to accept we cannot understand all things. Because otherwise we would be God. Cain reacts to God's decision with anger. He's angry, but not necessarily just with Abel, though, but with God. Cain has come face to face with a God that he can't control, and he doesn't like it. God, though, doesn't appear to be upset by Cain's anger. So maybe the problem and the issue is not about Cain's offering or his attitude in bringing it. The real issue is how is Cain responding to a sovereign God. How will he choose to live in a world that doesn't always work like he thinks it should? How will he cope with a God who refuses to be boxed in by human standards and expectations, and who demands instead that his people live in a God-shaped rather than a human-shaped world? God isn't worried about the correct sacrifice here, I think. God seems more concerned with how Cain will live in a world that he doesn't think is fair. And yet God calls Cain very gently and in positive terms to respond well to the situation he now finds himself in. If you do well, will you not be accepted, he says. And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain is called by God to control and to master his anger, a feeling and a state of mind that has no place in a God-shaped world. God's telling Cain that he actually has the capacity to choose a different course of action to the one that he's currently taking. Cain is not locked into a destructive, predetermined course of action. He, and of course we in turn, have the God-given grace of free will to make a choice. But Cain, however, doesn't heed God's counsel. He doesn't turn away from his sinful actions. He decides 
He's angry with God, but of course he can't get his hands on God, so he turns instead on his brother, the one whose offering was accepted by God. Jealousy and envy have now been born into the human-shaped world. And so instead of God, Cain takes his resentment out on Abel. How many times have we fallen into that trap? How many times have we perhaps had a terrible day with nothing going right for us? And because we can't take it out on the boss at work who's made ridiculous demands of us, or the unseen junction box controller who's had us on a red signal for half an hour without explanation, or the utility contractor who started digging up the road so we have to go home via a long and convoluted diverted route, we end up taking it out on someone else. The partner, the kids, the dog. The neighbour who has placed their wheelie bin ever so slightly across your drive or your path and who now looks out to find that their bin has been turned over and is lying on its side halfway down the road. In a human-shaped world, that anger and response is deemed by some to be understandable and in some cultures perhaps acceptable, but not in a God-shaped world where we've been told to master our human feelings. Otherwise, we will be devoured by the ravenous lion of sin that lies by the door, just waiting for us to let it in. As we know, Cain can't hold himself back. The enemy takes full advantage of the situation and Cain invites Abel to join him in the field. Again, we have no idea what Cain said to Abel by way of rationale for the meeting, nor what was said between them. What we do know for certain was that in his anger and in his pain, Cain killed his brother. Cain. Cain, who had had a personal relationship with God, who had seen him face to face, talked and walked with him, and been taught directly by him, still commits a grievous sin and is punished. Perhaps further evidence that God had already given some of his commandments to Adam and Eve and their kin long before Moses, including, you shall not murder. Now, at that point, if I were God, I would have struck Cain down on the spot. After all, that's what should happen to brother killers, isn't it? Surely God wouldn't tolerate someone like Cain in his creation, in his God-shaped world. If God is just and fair and holy, surely he must kill Cain. That's what I expect the God in my box, in my human-shaped world to do. For not only did Cain kill his brother, he then refuses to confess his crime to God when questioned about Abel's whereabouts, instead playing a silly word game with God over being Abel's keeper. But no, not our God, not our God of surprises. Instead of the ultimate punishment that we in our human-shaped world would expect and demand if we were God, God, who is sovereign and free from our determination, elects to do things his way. Yes, there is punishment. Cain must leave, alone, banished from the fellowship of his family and hidden from God's presence, destined to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
It's a crushing consequence for Cain, but to our human-shaped world, surely it's nothing more than he deserves. And yet, and yet, when Cain cries out in despair and fear that anyone who meets him on his wanderings might kill him because he's now hidden from God's face, the Lord says emphatically, not so. God's grace and mercy, once again, is seen in play as he decrees that if anyone kills Abel, or kills Cain, then they in turn will receive a sevenfold vengeance. God places a marker on Cain so that no one will bring him any harm. What that marker was, we don't know. Maybe it's the same mark that I think that we all have placed on us by God in indication that we belong to him, that he will keep watch over us, whatever the circumstances, whatever the reason for our separation from his immediate presence. A warning to the evil one that we are strictly off limits, marked as we are by the grace of God with the blood of the Lamb. Perhaps once Cain came to his senses, he did confess and seek forgiveness, being reunited with God. Who knows? But we will discover that and many other truths when all of God's purposes are revealed. In my human-shaped world, bent and twisted, distorted and misshapen as it is, I don't understand why God let Cain live. Much less do I understand why God cared enough for Cain to mark him and protect him. Why does God allow sinners like that to live? Why doesn't God just simply run the world better in the way that you or I would? This is a God I don't understand and a God that I cannot control. This is a God who's far bigger than the box that I want to place him in. He's beyond my capacity to understand and merciful beyond my expectations. This is a God who simply doesn't fit into my human-shaped world. What's going on here? But then something slowly begins to dawn on me and challenges me to the very core of my being. This story, which I've heard countless times before down the decades, is now beginning to sound familiar, but for other reasons. I've been there. I've stood where Cain stood. I have faced the God who I tried to hoodwink when challenged about attitudes and my behaviour. I've turned away from confessing all to God, who knows it all anyway, so why do I pretend otherwise? How many times have I stood there in the sight of God and allowed my anger, my pride, my vanity, my jealousy to boil over and cause harm to others, the other brother around me? I want to be the other brother, the one who's been wronged. I want to be able. But the truth sinks in. I am not the other brother. I don't want to be, but I'm Cain. Yet Cain lives. 
Yes, scarred by sin, but still the recipient of God's omnipotent and beyond all understanding grace and mercy, marked, protected by God. In a human-shaped world, Cain, I, we, would be tried, convicted and punished according to the world's values that we have helped to create. But in a God-shaped world, where the first will be last and the last first, where we're called to take up our cross and walk, where we have to lose our life to really find it, where we face a God we don't understand, we find and receive the forgiveness that we neither deserve nor merit. We may not understand God nor always know what he'll do or why, but we're called to trust him precisely because he is God. A God who won't fit into any man-made box. A man who instead, a God who instead is Lord over everything. And as I sit in, here indoors on a gorgeously sunny and warm bank holiday Monday afternoon, writing these words, I feel the temptation of the human-shaped world telling me, it's okay. Go and follow your desires. Go and get a cold beer and sit outside with a book. Trust in yourself. It'll be all right. Do what you want to do in a world that you've shaped for yourself. But then I asked that question posed by Doug last week. What does this story say to us in our walk with Jesus? And the answer comes back but it's a story of being at all times in fellowship with God and with my brother, whoever that might be, wherever they might be. To do well in God's sight. To give first to God what belongs to him in my time and my energy. To honour and proclaim the promise that God made that he will be merciful and gracious to each one of us, regardless of what we've done regardless of where we've been. To give thanks, to give praise, that we have all been marked by his love and that he continues each and every day to bridge the gap between our human broken world and his glorious God-shaped world. As he reaches out to you, to me, to us, the sinner, came. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make us complete in everything good so that we may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.